I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. I am so happy today (laughs) Uh, because today we're celebrating the 36th anniversary of 1985's The Return of the Living Dead, my favorite zombie movie ever. And to top it off, we have a very special guest with us, Tom Matthews, Freddy from Return of the Living Dead, and Tommy Jarvis from Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. Hell yeah. He's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Now it's time for Screaming Room. This week we're reviewing Episode 6 FaceTime for Slasher Flesh and Blood. FaceTime, that's just so wrong. Once you see the episode, you'll get it. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we don't have as many flashbacks now. We're getting into the home stretch. Only two episodes left, and a lot did happen this episode. I mean, someone went to an all-you-could-eat, and then they took a trip right after. <laughs> there was no cheeks clapping. Again, this is like two <laughs> episodes straight, no cheeks clapping. I'm surprised. But we did get a reference to Big Dick Drago. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, I might have to use that as my, uh, EA name. I mean, I mean, they've already suspended me enough that I'm not allowed to change my own name. EA took the process away from me. But, uh, getting back to Slasher, I mean, uh, we also had a crazy cliffhanger. Uh, I mean, do you think some important questions were answered about halfway through the episode? And then everything's becoming a little more clear. And then the end of the episode, you don't know what to think now. Yeah, uh, and to uh, to quote Shorty from Scary Movie, uh, there was ass, blood, and guts everywhere. <laughs> there was a lot of death in this episode. Uh, uh, someone gets a new pair of tits. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, snippity, snip, snip. Someone gets old boyed. Old boyed. Huh? Uh, you know, you'll, again, you'll see what I mean once you watch the episode when you catch it this uh, Thursday. Uh, yeah, it was, it was one hell of an episode. This is probably the best episode. This one went far and it explained a lot. And look, I told you I'd be honest from the start and I'm going to be honest. The killer is not who I thought it was. I am not going to tell you who I thought it was or who it is, but yes, John and I were wrong. Yeah. Uh, and also that music at the end of the episode, I really enjoyed that. It was like a hauntingly beautiful tune at the end of that episode. Yeah, I agree. And the camera work during the very end of the camera work yeah. did an upside down thing. It was really nice camera work in this episode. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, next week the season's going to wrap up both episode seven and eight are dropping on the same day. So we'll, we'll have it all wrapped up next week. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Uh, make sure to catch Slasher Flesh and Blood exclusively on Shutter. All right, I'm ready to get baked. Well, we're ready to get baked. Uh, let's get into Strain Rack. Now it's time for Strain Rack, the segment where John and I discuss which, which strain we're getting wrecked on in each episode. Today, we're smoking LA Pop Rocks. This shit is crazy good. I am fucking gone. Like I'm Joe. I'm I'm Joe Rogan high right now. <laughs> All right, let me check this out here. 
And I got another one rolled here, so I'm ready. We're ready to go. Uh, that's definitely got like like a sweet sour smell almost. I'm on a fucking new level right now, bro. <laughs> I'm telling you. Dude, these these fucking nugs are crazy. It's like it's almost more orange than it actually is even green, just with these orange hairs, and then it's just got like a little bit of that uh that dark purple. And the trichomes, I mean, it does fit the name. They do kind of look like like little pop rocks. I can't wait to smoke this shit. <laughs> well, I'm gonna spark us up, man. What do you got going on this week in horror history? This week in horror history. So this week uh, debuted on September 9th, 2005. We have The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I'm a big fan of the movie, and I really don't know anybody who dislikes this movie. Drew, I know you're a fan as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw The Exorcism of Emily Rose in theaters with my Same. friends, uh, and, and we loved it. It was scary as hell, and it was something that we haven't seen before. And uh, during the commentary, Scott Derrickson, director Scott Derrickson, said that the Exorcist was the best possession film of all time, in his opinion, but some of it isn't believable or, you know, plausible, like the head spin. How did Reagan survive that? So Scott wanted to take The Exorcist and make it as believable as possible by using faith and medicine to conflict the viewer. Um, and he did just that. And I actually had a conversation with Scott Derrickson on Twitter, and I told him that The Exorcism of Emily Rose is the second best exorcism film like of all time after The Exorcist. Would you agree? Uh, sorry, passing that back over. Yeah, I would agree. It's probably the second best one. And yeah, like I said, I, I agreed with you. I saw, I saw that in theaters as well. Jennifer Carpenter, just the shit she was able to do with her body was crazy. How, how she could contort it and everything. And I mean, uh, this was loosely based on the true story of uh, Annalise M Michelle. Yep. Um, but I did also like the idea that uh, Scott Derrickson, who he said himself was a believer, brought in uh, Harris Boardman, who was more of a skeptic. And I thought that was interesting. And it does play out how they want it that... It doesn't really, the movie doesn't tell you one way or the other. It leaves it up to you. Yeah, it le yeah. leaves it up to you to believe well, what you want to believe in it. But I thought it was really, re really well done. Um, and I mean, it, it has a pretty good cast in it. I mean, besides Jennifer Carpenter plays Emily Rose, you have Tom Wilkinson, who I think is really an underrated character actor. I think he's great in everything he does. He was great in Batman Begins. Uh, and I want to bring up how you had said that Jennifer Carpenter did a great job like with her body contorting because one of the things that happened is whenever a, a good movie comes out, everybody and their mother tries to rip it off. And that is exactly what happened, unfortunately. Like that was her contorting, her body movements. That was part of the scares, part of the creeps of watching The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And after that, it just seems that everybody thought, oh shit, like every exorcism movie on the planet now needs to have the, the woman or girl possessed be completely able to fold in half and crawl along walls like a spider and it's like it just took off and it's like the exorcism of emily, of emily rose succeeded because it wasn't just about that and it didn't go overboard with it but it just seemed like oh shit she bent backwards with her back so let's have somebody take that even further and then make them like run up a wall <laughs> like a spider and it's like that's not what made it scary you know like it's not it's it's it's, it's oversaturation of that shit and there was another thing from the movie uh that i feel like ended up uh like, like how, how, how you had The Matrix, and for a while after that, you had all these movies with bullet time in it. After this, I feel like there was a lot of horror movies that did that, like, 
changing of the face from like a normal face into like some kind of scary demon looking yeah, with, face. With black eyes and running mouth and yeah, shit. Like, yeah. like, it, like it was a real sudden change. I feel like for a while that was just all over the movies. And then I, at least at least it didn't last that long, which I'm happy for. I agree. And uh, here's a little knowledge nugget for you. <laughs> if you pay attention in the beginning of the film, you see blood on the barbed wire fence. That is to indicate that that is how Emily got the stigmata on her hands. Another knowledge nugget. Emily's failed exorcism attempt takes place on Halloween. So the exorcism of Emily Rose technically is a Halloween film. You know, I know that, but I haven't seen the movie in so long. I forgot that. I think I'll add that to my Halloween and list. And it's a scary one too, so it's good. It's and, good. And sadly, I have to say, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but it, it's it's really good. And I mean, it's memorable that I, I mean, it's probably been at least five years, but I remember that movie very well. Yeah, and uh, it's it's one of those ones that burns into your mind because, like The Exorcist, it actually was original. It wasn't just something you've seen a thousand times, which I can't tell you anything that happened in The Last Exorcism. I can't, and I don't care to go back and rewatch it. Um, but also, let's bring this up real quick. Uh, our boy Scott Derrickson here, the director, also did Sinister. We've talked about this before. Sinister is our shit. I love Sinister, man. Yeah, yeah, well, we've definitely talked about it. And again, I will say it's one of the few movies recently that has successfully creeped me out i can't i can't give enough praise to the first first sinister movie yeah um and i actually found out during the commentary on that that uh scott derrickson is a fan of the supernatural horror film the pact from 2012 directed by nicholas mccarthy who also did the prodigy in 2019 you got me to watch the prodigy actually um well yeah i talked to him about the uh scott derrickson i talked to him about the pact on twitter uh, and that was cool and he uh he liked that movie so he definitely has good taste in movies you know and it's good to see him doing big time shit with Marvel now. Yeah, and actually, uh, I mentioned Jennifer Carpenter and Tom Wilkinson. I forgot that Laura Linney's in it as well as the uh, attorney. And I think that her and Tom Wilkinson both play really well off each other in the lawyer versus, I guess that would be your skeptic versus the uh, the actual uh, believer. Yeah, I feel you. Absolutely. And now it's time to get to Puff Puff Ask, the segment of the show where Drew and I answer questions that you send to us through Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at High on Horror 420 and through email at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com. Okay, uh, I'll start us off here with an email from Howard J. from Elkton, Maryland. Uh, I chose this question because it's an easy question, and I'm exhausted lately, so I thought this would be a good one to answer, and uh, it's also, you know, people out there could, you know, maybe get some recommendations from it. Uh, his question is, uh, what are your favorite horror TV shows? Um, and my answer, definitely not The Fucking Walking Dead. <laughs> not gonna lie. Uh, I mean, the first two seasons are amazing. I think it was up, I gave up a while ago, but I think it was up to like season four with the whole governor storyline. That was good. Then I kind of fell behind and I got caught back up and I watched stuff with Negan and then they got rid of Rick. They killed Carl and I just, uh, people were leaving and i'm like why don't they just end this and then like come on they were supposed to make three rick movies 
and they're just now working on the first one i'm so out of touch with that whole fan base and everything anymore i don't even know i hung on to watching the show way too long i don't mean i'm not going to turn this into one of your rob zombie bashing sessions i was just about but to i'm say. just going to say like there has been like literally seasons worth not a season worth seasons worth where i have watched that show with my wife and after every episode for seasons we thought like why are we still watching this we held on way too long way longer than we should have um actually though uh but to go back to the question my favorite horror show honestly i know it's newer uh, but I think my favorite horror show, I'm going to pick Ash vs. Evil Dead because it is everything that I love about the Evil Dead series. I think that everybody loves about the Evil Dead series. It's everything that's great about the Evil Dead series in little 30-minute bursts. Um, many of the casts from the films are even in the show, and Sam Raimi is involved, plus Bruce Campbell. I mean, I think that was a perfect show. Both Raimis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and you know, and I'm gonna say that uh, right after that, Tales from the Crypt because I grew up with that show, and that's what got me into horror. Absolutely, Tales from the Crypt. Um, besides that, just to name drop a few, uh, I love Hannibal. Uh, that was another great show gone too soon, like Ash vs Evil Dead. You know, canceled bastards. Um, Penny Dreadful was good, uh, and of course, there's Buffy and the X Files and the Twilight Zone. John, what do you what do you think? The original Twilight Zone still number one to me. It's I'd probably put it in my top five all-time TV series. I just, and I don't really care for uh, any of the other incarnations of the Twilight Zone. Just give me the Rod Serling ones, and I'm good. The movie, I think it was from 84, somewhere around there. I, I enjoyed that. I know the whole story, John Landis is a murderer or whatever. But uh, I, I enjoyed the Twilight Zone movie. Um, the first four seasons of Dexter are fucking amazing. Yeah, if we're if I mean I guess Dexter does technically count as horror. That's true. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Dexter fan, and I I, I kind of let that one slip by the cracks. I didn't think about that. If Dexter is a player in the horror genre, which I guess it would be horror thriller, then yeah, that's that's probably that's probably right up there with number. It's probably one or two on the list. If Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie, Dexter's a horror TV show. Yep, and and also for you listeners out there, I don't give a shit if you agree or disagree because it's the truth. Seven is a horror film as well. Yeah. I just actually only watched that a couple years ago for the first time. It was one of those movies I just never got around to. But yeah, the first four seasons of Dexter are amazing. Uh, then it kind of got off the rails. Five was not a good season. Six was okay. Was it? Or Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it the end of six that Deb finds out he's, he's a serial killer? So at the end of six, yeah, it's the end because yeah, it went six. eight seasons, and then seven was her dealing with that, yeah. which I thought seven was a good season, and then the final season is just a whole what in the hell were they doing? There's yeah yeah there's there's so much about that season that uh that was it was it's it's lazy writing honestly that's what it is let's break it down and be truthful because when when you go back to the original seasons of Dexter part of the thrill was how sneaky he was about at never getting caught and then there was times like in season two when like you're deathly scared remember when he's in the trunk of the car and the little uh, Mexican boy is like gonna draw a picture of the man that he saw commit the murder and you're like oh my god like it's over like it's over that and, and, and the surprise motherfucker yes did like and, and there's so many things that were just like how is he gonna get out of this and he finds some crafty way to do it and then in like the last few seasons he's just killing people in broad daylight walking dead deb out of a hospital right? in a wheelchair in the, in the middle, middle of, the storm, of a hurricane and nobody said it's just like it's just like you can't just get from point a to point c without getting showing point b and it's like they were just really that shit just got really sloppy at the end but i will not let that affect 
my opinion of the first four seasons. The first the, season one was amazing. Two yeah. was probably a little better. Three was kind of like uh, not as good as one and two, but still good. And season then four, four just dropped the fucking grenade. Four was just like that was it, dude. I hated Doke so much, but he was awesome at the same time. Then he died, and they replaced him with Quinn, and I was like, I want Dokes back. <laughs> Dude, I was like, I didn't appreciate Dokes for what he was. They were like, it's, I was like, man, now now I'm really upset that he's gone. Well, it's one of those things where uh, it's kind of like Forrest Whitaker in The Shield. It's one of those things where you're not... You don't like him because you're not on his side of things. If you're on his side of things, he's actually kind of fucking funny. I could jump in and start saying that about a lot of characters in the shield, but that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> don't you have a question for somebody we gotta I get do, to? I do, but man, I'll sit here and keep talking about TV shows. Uh, <laughs> the first season of True Detective. Oh yeah. Oh, is, that, yeah. is that horror? I mean, that's, I mean, it's got horror elements to it's it. It's a serial killer. It's it's definitely I would thriller horror. I could see it fitting into both. And I will say, the first season of True Detective, I th- I put it up there with among the greatest seasons, like single seasons in like television history. Like that, there's nothing I don't like about the first season of True Detective. Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, the acting on that show was what re- the thing that got. Let me put put it to you this way. Uh, I remember watching Matthew McConaughey getting bad reviews for how to lose a guy in 10 days. And I remember Rod, uh, Roper, Ebert and Roper pretty much like one of the, like, I'm going to paraf- paraphrase here, but they pretty much were like, does this dude not ever want to be in a good movie before he dies or what? Like they were really harsh on him. And then, uh, so I remember thinking like, damn man, poor Matthew McConaughey. He was in things like, you know, um, a time to kill he was in some good movies yeah. and, and you know and then it's like now he's just like that guy where people are just like he's just a popcorn movie he sucks and, and uh and, and then i hear you know like yo like matthew mcconaughey like is like became a serious actor like he's shutting people up the reconnaissance yeah and, and i i watched true detective and i was like holy shit like yeah like you you don't realize the range he has as an actor until you see that show he he blew my mind honestly i'm, I'm like holy shit he's good like the chain smoking the the look I, like he he hooked me it was and, and woody harrelson's always good i love that dude too and everything he's in but yeah like the acting on that show blew alexandria dodario in it too I, I know and she was she was scantily clad in that <laughs> yes. in that episode or in one of the episodes and that was definitely uh yeah season one rocked uh and and the acting was just fucking incredible dude the reconnaissance was a it was a real thing, man. That and Interstellar, like yeah. Interstellar, no, an amazing and, movie. And, and no, and uh, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. That was the other one. That was where he won his awards. Yeah, uh, man. He, he and, had a hell of a he had a hell of a little run there. Yeah, he kind of he kind of did like a Robert Downey Jr. and Mickey Rourke. He kind of had like a career resurgence where like people were just like, oh, what? okay, like he's got another like another. He's not like you know like these some of these comedians out there. I'm not going to name names, but are trying to like reinvent themselves and do horror movies. And I was going to say Dax Shepard. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know we're not like it's not like comedians trying to go out there and do something new and sucking at it it's like this dude just like taking what he does seriously and finding the right projects and uh it, 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 he, yeah matthew mcconaughey had a great streak going there i won't go too far but uh i mean it's gonna be hard to have a bad movie with christopher nolan at the helm but i agreed i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a nolan fanboy it is what it is i mean hey his filmography speaks for itself be salty if you want to be <laughs> Anyway, let's move on to the next one here. And this one actually comes from my fiance, Nicole. 
She said, you and Drew both love Friday the 13th films, and I don't get it. The timeline doesn't make any sense. How does he go from being a kid who drowned, come back as a man? If he wasn't really dead, then what was he doing? None of it makes sense. Look, Friday the 13th isn't supposed to make any sense. <laughs> There's no logic. That's too many questions you're asking of the series that you want to be answered. It's about, the first one's about his mom. It's a real one. It has a plot. I mean, some of the later ones have a plot, but the first one, you know, his mom, there's a whole story of his mom having the revenge plot. And then it's whatever director wanted to do with Jason and that movie is what they decided they wanted to do. I mean, there's some good ones where part six, where you do have story and part four, where you do have a story. But some of the later ones, it was just, uh, it was more about, yeah, I want him to kill that bastard. <laughs> yeah um my my answer to that would be jason never stops he's just a killing machine he's always on the go so my thought would be just run there's a motherfucker coming at you with a machete and don't stop to think about how old he is or where he came from or what all you need to worry about is there's a mutated looking dude coming at you with, with brutal force and some sort of object with 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 bad intentions so don't stop to think about the plot who cares just run and enjoy it that's that's how i see it and I meant to say last week, well, actually, I thought about it after the episode, but we talked about movies that a lot of people don't like, but that we liked. The Friday the 13th remake. I don't get the hate for it. There's, like, Halloween, Friday, or Nightmare on Elm Street, there's an established lore there that, you know, the remake's kind of broke. Whereas Jason, I mean, the story just changes every time, so I feel like the remake was a good part of combining one through three into a movie. And I thought they did a great job with it. I agree. And I, I've said before, I don't like Jason X, but I can tolerate Jason X. And I'll tell you right now that I can count on one hand, maybe two hands, how many movies this remake is better than in the actual series. If I'm honest, that we're weighing them out as good movies. The remake is one of the better ones up there. There's no question about it. Compare it to five, compare it to eight. Compare it to X. Compare it to Jason Goes to Hell. And you're going to tell me it sucks? I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't fourth, suck at all. I probably have it fourth on my list at, uh, with uh, six, four in the original. And then I'd probably put that, maybe that and two right there. It's close. And then uh, Derek Mears did a fucking great job as Jason. And that's another thing to answer uh, Nicole's question is when you stop to look at plot holes and things like that, you could, you could ask yourself, hmm, this doesn't add up. But you know what? When Kane Hodder looks the way he fucking does in The New Blood, and when uh, Derek Mears looks the way he does in the remake, it doesn't matter about plot holes. They look cool as shit, and you want to see him <laughs> kill people. <laughs> we also want to see him fight Freddy again, but but we want Kane Hodder this time. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that'll wrap us up for that for today. So uh, please don't forget to write in your questions to us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at High on Horror 420 or email us at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. Now it's time to get into our review slash discussion of this week's film, The Return of the Living Dead. Today's movie is The Return of the Living Dead, 
And it starts on July 3rd with Freddie, played by today's guest Tom Matthews, starts working at Unita Medical Supplies. And for, his foreman Frank, played by James Karen, trying to look like the cool boss, shows him drums left over from the military. Frank accidentally opens the barrel and releases the toxin inside. A dead body left in the meat locker reanimates, so joined by their boss Bert, played by Clue Gallagher, they cremate the corpse. Doing this releases the gas into the air and creates acid rain, and this reanimates the bodies at a local cemetery. Freddy, joined by his friends Casey, Spider, Trash, Chuck, Suicide, and Scuzz, they'll try to fight off these zombies. Man, 1985 was one hell of a year for zombie movies. Uh, George Romero's Day of the Dead came out, Reanimator, and Return of the Living Dead came out all in that year, and they're all amazing. Return easily being the best one. Mm, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dan O'Bannon made his directorial debut with The Return of the Living Dead, but before that, Dan had met John Carpenter at USC in the 70s, and they expanded O'Bannon's student film Dark Star into a feature-length film with Carpenter at the helm of the director's seat. Uh, Dark Star went on to win the Golden Scroll. After some time passed and uh, some projects fell through, Dan O'Bannon was homeless and broke. He was living with a friend and science fiction writer, Ronald Shusset, when he came up with the story for Alien, and it gave him the career break that he needed. Ronald Shusset went on to write Dead and Buried, and Total Recall, so that's a pretty successful team. Yeah, and um, you had recently just had me watch this. I don't know how this fell through the cracks and just one of those movies I had never got to, but I enjoyed it a lot. I love the sound, or I'm sorry, the punk soundtrack to it, and I like the ending how uh, Night of the Living Dead, you have one of the survivors is shot by the cops, whereas in this one, uh, the whole city gets nuked on July 4th, and in typical fashion of it being a fuck-up, they nuke it, and then you have more acid rain. It's just going to continue the cycle and create more zombies. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, exactly. Uh, the Return of the Living Dead changed everything. Uh, it was the first zombie movie, uh, the first zombie comedy. It was the first, not first zombie movie, I'm sorry. It was the first zombie comedy. It was uh, the first film with fast zombies, and it was the first film that made zombies eat brains. Uh, add to that the memorable, memorable quotes from the film. You think this is a fucking costume? It's a way of life. That's one. Uh, the Freddy line. I like, like this job. And my favorite one is the zombies send more paramedics. <laughs> right. And, uh, and Linnea Quigley's nudity as the punk rock trash is erotic as hell. Uh, it's such a goofy movie, but it works well. And FYI, that's not really Linnea Quigley's vag, folks. That's a prosthetic. <laughs> I I didn't know there was prosthetic vages. Well, there would there is, at least in this case. Uh, anywho. Uh, the more you know. <laughs> uh, something funny that I want to point out is how this was Miguel Nunez Jr.'s second film. He had done Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning, as his first film, while Tom Matthews' first film was The Return of the Living Dead. And then he went on to play Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, as his second film. So Miguel and Tom kind of switched off there. That's unique. Uh, but it's easy to see why Tom got the part as Tommy Jarvis after his work in Return of the Living Dead. 
Yeah, but he doesn't have a line. He's damn enchiladas. (laughs) 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 One of the most memorable Friday the 13th scenes. I feel like you have... Miguel had one of the most memorable scenes for comedic reasons at a Friday the 13th. And then Tom has the most iconic role outside of... Well, I guess any of the Voorhees characters. Yeah. He has yeah. he has the biggest role in a Friday the thirteenth series. Yeah, he's the most household name of a Friday the thirteenth series besides Jason Voorhees, it's uh Tommy Jarvis. And uh I had I had re- reading more about uh Return of the Living Dead, uh the appearance of the zombies in the film were inspired by uh mummies from Mexico and the bog people of Wales. Oh nice. Um well yeah, uh, and, and yeah, back to Return of the Living Dead. Uh all the acting and effects are spot on. It's fun. It's punk rock. It's fuck you and the horse you rode in on. And it's even gory. Uh, there's even a bad, there's, there's never a bad time to watch this movie. And look at all the zombie comedies that came after it. Uh, besides the shitty sequels, there were four sequels and only one that stood up to the challenge. And that was part three. Uh, which was directed by Brian Usna of Society and Reanimator fame. Uh, besides that, uh, besides those sequels, look at how many zombie comedies there are. Uh, just to start, there's Zombieland 1 and 2, Little Monsters, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, Warm Bodies, Anna and the Apocalypse, Deathgasm, Cockneys vs. Zombies. The list goes on and on. I mean, that's just recently, within like the last several years or 10 years. I mean, I, I'd love to count how many zombie comedies there are out there one day. That just seems like it's impossible to do at this point. Um, but the only Zomcom to ever really stand up to The Return of the Living Dead is Shaun of the Dead. And uh, that's the only, only zombie comedy that will stifle someone in an argument about Return of the Living Dead being the best zombie comedy, and rightfully so. Uh, that is hard as hell to choose between the two of them. They're both genius, and uh, they both left their mark, that's for sure. Um, I'm Team Return of the Living Dead, though. Uh, I do love Shaun of the Dead. Everybody loves Shaun of the Dead. It's impossible to not love Shaun of the Dead. But at the end of the day, Return has that 80s feel that despite, no matter how good Shaun of the Dead is, it just can't match that authentic 80s feel. And that authentic 80s feel is going to usually win a debate with in, in a movie debate. You know, that's usually going to weigh heavy for a movie um, more often than not. Uh, John, say something. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I mean, I put Shaun of the Dead as my number one horror comedy, so I I would pick Shaun of the Dead, but this would, I would have to say this would be number two. I don't, well, actually, no, I guess not, because I didn't even have it on my top five, so I'll put it top three. I also really like Zombieland, but, um... Yeah, I feel like that's the top three. Yeah. All right, well, look, so those, those say Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland are more modern. For those being more modern and Return of the Living Dead, the Return of the Living Dead having come out in 1985, it stands toe-to-toe with them. I would agree, but, I mean, it isn't like, well, I guess it was about 15 years between, 15, 16 years between this and Shaun of the Dead. Um, but I would say for zombie comedy, the z- zombie comedies i feel like that's that that's the three i don't know that there's really another one that can work its way into the conversation i feel like the three are zombie land shawn of the dead and return of the living dead i i can agree with that i think that regardless of uh you know everybody might have a different order for them but in regards to a top three i think that yeah i think you're right i think that is the top three it's just depending on who you are is going to depend on what's one two and three 
Now it's time to get on to Burn and Learn, the segment of our show where we fill you in on some behind-the-scenes facts about the movie we're talking about. In this case, Return of the Living Dead. Oh. Burn and Learn. Miguel Nunez Jr. was homeless when he was cast as Spider. Actress Jewel Shepard was originally supposed to be trash, but wanted to be a party girl instead. Add to that, Jewel was a stripper when she met Dan O'Bannon. Trash was originally called Legs in the script. Uh, Tarman was designed to look like a thinking zombie. Dan O'Bannon didn't want dumb zombies. Return was filmed in six weeks. They only had two weeks to put together the soundtrack. All interior shots were soundstage sets. I'm going to bring this up to Tom when we talk to him. Uh, Tom really pierced his ear for the part of Freddy. The concrete arch over the cemetery was made out of foam. They rented every tombstone from Universal. The tombstones in Return of the Living Dead have also been used in such films as Dracula and other Universal classics. The voice from the helicopter is Dan O'Bannon. The Texas Chancel Massacre's Toby Hooper was originally supposed to direct the film. Well, that concludes Burn and Learn. Now let's get on to talking to Tom Matthews. Tom Matthews is an American actor with nearly 40 years experience in the business. He's been in such films as the classic The Return of the Living Dead and fan favorite Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, where he plays the iconic Tommy Jarvis. Welcome, Tom. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Oh, my pleasure. Are you guys high right now? <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're fucking <laughs> yeah, lit. Of course. <laughs> uh, what about you? Do you uh, how often do you smoke? Uh, I don't... I. Very rarely nowadays. Uh, I used to smoke a lot when I when it was illegal. <laughs> now it's legal. It's just not. <laughs> any, it's just not any fun anymore. <laughs> Took the fun right out of it. No, right. We used to get. The, I used to the, go way back. Uh, four fingers of Colombian dirt weed for ten bucks. It was <laughs> <laughs> all day. It was just. Oh, that's great. I mean, I used to smoke in high school, and I after two years, I just trying to like look down at myself and go. Man, I can't do this anymore because I needed a bath. <laughs> My clothes were all dirty. <laughs> Just like something's got to change. But then I started. I, I uh, we actually grew. Uh, my brother and I, we would grow in our backyard. We were living with my grandmother in Hollywood. <laughs> we'd get her to to water the plants because she thought they were so beautiful. She didn't know what they were. <laughs> and then we'd, we'd harvest them. Oh, that's hilarious. We'd, we'd harvest them, yeah. She, and then she found out, you know, years later, got a little bit upset, but wasn't that upset, I guess. So. Uh, have, did you ever have a favorite strain? Uh, yeah, the kind that had the red fuzzy things on the, on the buds. <laughs> I'm not, I, I wouldn't know a strain from a strand you know i just uh, i don't know we just whatever whatever we we got the seeds we put them in washcloths and germinate the seeds and put them in the ground they sprout up and then we put them transfer them into a a bigger uh uh container a pot and then we would we would top them as they were starting to grow and so they'd split off twice and then once they were all purple and fuzzy we'd take pull them out and turn them upside down so all the thc would run to the buds and stuff and that's how we would do it 
Oh, that's pretty funny. You mentioned about uh, them not knowing that it was actually weed. Uh, my mom told me a similar story that my uncle's friend had given uh, my grandmother a plant and she was growing it, and she brought everybody back. She's like, look how beautiful this is. Isn't this so nice? And they're like, mom, no, you're growing weed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you did smoke, uh, what, what, what were your favorite things to do? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like to eat, <laughs> eat and watch movies. Do we all? <laughs> uh, did Did you have like a favorite way? Did you prefer like papers we would do, using a bowl? We would do paper. Bowl? Oh, another funny story. So we were kids. We were smoking all the time, and had long hair, you know. And we'd make our um, we made our our our, our, our a le- we'd make our own chains, and there'd be a, a leather leather uh, lace. With with wood beads and, and then a cross because I'm I'm Catholic so we, that would be and our hair would be down to here. Some guy saw some older guy it must have been I don't know older guy was like 28 29. He saw us and he's like he knew we smoked weed so he uh, he reaches into his pocket and he goes like this he had a little joint and then at the time I just happened to have one of those long papers like this long and I pulled this thing out like yeah. Like that to him, <laughs> and then I also read. Uh, I got very good at uh, making. There was different joint types, so there was like a, a megaphone one. It was like a cone, so you light it at the end, it would smoke down. So I read up uh, how to do it, and I got very good at it. And at the end of the directions, it would say, "You're going to get very good at this. People are going to watch you at parties." But you're gonna be over in the corner rolling joints all night, so you may want to not, you may not want to do it. And then we would we would get the we would get the uh, ends of the joints, and then save them all, and then put them in a ball and aluminum and, and and cook them, and then that would be our next way to we light them and smoke them and smoke that. And then hash oil too, we'd smoke hash oil. That was pretty pretty popular. Hang on one sec. Go to Zoom. Um, so we would do that and then, you know, we got, we got creative. Now in, uh, the return of the living dead, um, I read that there was two jackets made the one that says fuck off. And then you needed a TV yeah, version. It says, fuck you. it says fuck you. And then the other one says TV version for the TV version, which I would have, I wish, I, I wish I would have kept the TV version when I was kind of, kind of funny. I was going to ask, did you keep any of those jackets? I didn't. I think they kept them just in case we had to do reshoots and stuff, because you never know. And uh, your zombie makeup, how long did that take? That took about four hours, I guess. It was a prosthetic, which I still have. I actually have the piece. Um, uh, it's a latex. I have it in a plastic bag. Uh, that took about four hours, and I could I could barely see through it. It was only in a, in, I only wore it for a couple of scenes, I guess. We're busting ass. We'll break it through the door in the chapel, and then. Uh, going down the hallway, you know, and then busted through the attic uh, to get Tina. Well, uh, July 9th of 1984, so like just like uh, not even a month ago, the first day of filming on Return of the Living Dead happened 37 years. uh, Wow. It's been 37 years, you know, 37 years later. How does it feel to have been part of that movie, man? It's so iconic. It is. I mean, you know, it was... uh, just got lucky. Got, you know, double lightning strikes twice with that in uh, Friday the 13th for me. And we shot them like a year apart. Um, you know, it was, it was my first big 
role in a movie. And it was such a great part. I mean, I started off as this naive kid and through the course of the movie, die and end up being this, you know, brain sucking zombie. So it was a really great, it's a fun, fun part for an actor to play, you know, from that kid until the, the zombie. And it's a lot, lot of fun. And I had a great experience. You had a lot of luck. Had a great experience. Had a great experience uh, filming that. And uh, Dan was great. And it was really was a, a collaboration. You know, he let us do everything was talked about. And if we had any ideas and, you know, between Jimmy and I, because most of my scenes were with him. And a lot of the, some of it was improv. Some of it we added lines. You know, like this job was a line I just came out of me as he was saying you better watch your tongue if you like this job and i said like this job so that was one <laughs> of them. um well I was, yeah, I was actually gonna ask you about dan o'bannon um how was it like yeah like this was like your first big role and you got to star like under the direction of dan o'bannon how was that and uh like you had said he was open to suggestions and you said you were blown away by that idea well was he behind you playing the part of freddie like as a drama yeah for sure i you know i think he uh he really liked my audition when I came in and I played, I played it, you know, like it, like any drama. And I think that's what makes the movie work so well is, I mean, it's truly is a, 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 a comedy drama. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, we, you know, we played it, we played it for real and uh, uh, the situations is what makes you laugh at it you know, which makes it so much fun. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, actually, um, return of the living dead was the first zombie comedy. And it was also the first film with fast zombies. Uh, was that anything that Dan O'Bannon discussed with you? Or is that just things that people realized after the movie came I out? I think after the movie, I think he had, he had probably thought about it. You know, I, I didn't really, uh, think about it. Uh, cause I wasn't, I wasn't really privy to those scenes. I was just, you know, go to the set and do my stuff and I'd hang out a little bit afterwards. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we didn't really talk about it. We did, we did rehearse for two weeks before we shot, which was cool. Cause you, you know, you hardly ever do that on a, on a film ever. So that was, you know, insightful that he was able to do that and get the money for it. Um, so that was, I think that was very helpful, you know, cause it looks like we're just talking, everyone's talking over each other, but that out, it was all planned out and re- well rehearsed and stuff like that. Well, that's that's good to work under a director that's that well, you know, that's that well planned yeah. out and rehearsed on everything that he wants to do. Well, that we, definitely we, helps. we were all his his first film he directed, so we are kind of, you know, winging it. And I think a, a low budget in die movie is kind of it kind of gives a, a creative energy to a to a movie. You know, you you kind of just uh, flying by the seat of your pants. You have a structure, you have the script and stuff, and you kind of know what you want to do, but then you just you, you grab onto the creative stuff that as it comes up, because you know, it's like any other thing, whether you're building a house, things come up and you make the adjustments or, uh, you know, try and make it better. And, and Dan was, uh, he was, he was smart enough to let the actors change it for themselves to make it more honest for themselves. And that's why uh, I think it all comes through. Everyone, everyone get it, gave a great performance yeah you can tell that everybody on set like it, it, at least it comes off on like on even though like everybody's in a scary situation yeah uh you guys all p- portrayed it as if it's almost as if like the viewer it's fun to watch because you can almost tell that although you guys are scared it's almost as if like you guys are having fun 
it feels it feels like you know the cast is having fun while also being scared and that's what's fun like to the viewer watching it well, that's cool did you guys have a lot of fun like filming it i did <laughs> yeah i think i think most <laughs> of us did you know it was a, it's a fun heightened reality you know situation <laughs> so. absolutely um can you tell us the story about how you pierced your ear for the part okay i pierced my ear for the part <laughs> <laughs> not much of a story dan found out about it he goes he did he was shocked that i had done that i also had a little uh pigtail in the back of my head and i i've kind of always done that uh i did another movie where the guy was uh uh scripted as dark haired and you know muscle and I, I got the muscles and i dyed my hair dark but it didn't look right on my coloring so i bleached my hair out white and I went down to the set without telling the director. <laughs> and he loved it. He loved it. He goes, this is great. Just didn't look right on me, on my coloring. So I've always kind of. Oh, wow. So it just worked out. Yeah. I just uh, kind of, you know, artistically do my own thing most of the time. Well, yeah, you weren't, uh, you were, uh, you weren't sure that, uh, or you were uncertain of the fact that they were going to have a fake earring that you could use, correct? That's why you pierced your ear? Didn't even think about it. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was perfect for the character. <laughs> I still have the whole. Oh, perfect. It, it closed up, but yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, he could have faked it, but I was more, <laughs> yeah, you, you're, know, you know, you're, you're, you're a dedicated actor. I, was, I, I am. I was, and, uh, yeah, more of a method, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, uh, how was your, you had mentioned, uh, Jim Karen, uh, how was working with him? You know, uh, the two of you on screen were like peanut butter and chocolate. So how was like your time with him? <laughs> that's a Reese's pieces. <laughs> it's a peanut, that's a peanut butter cup, which is my favorite, uh, uh, one of my favorite candy bars. Same. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, it was great working with him. Um, a lot of fun. You know, if I was a producer, I would have hired him any chance I, I could get. Cause he was, so, he was so, he loved being there. He was so infectious uh, about working and just his attitude was just, it uplifted everybody, the crew, the actors, and just wanted, wanted it, you know, just, it just made us want to be better, you know, as a, as an actor and the performance. So he was great. As you know, we did part two together as well. And we found out on part two that we, we were born on the same day. So that was interesting. Maybe that's why we we gelled so well together. We uh, after we found that out, we we celebrated our birthdays together, us, us and the wives for for many years until he passed. And he'd come over to the house for for the holidays and stuff like that. So we 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 remained friends and, and very close. Oh, that's really cool. Do you uh, did you remain friends with uh, anybody else from the cast over the years? Uh. Yeah, uh, I see Miguel. Well, I see a lot of a lot of the people at the convention still, so that's always fun. Um, uh, was friendly with Beverly for a while, and and uh, who else? Miguel, I see every once in a while, probably three four times a year. We have you know we have our everybody has their our phone numbers and emails and stuff like that, so that's all good. Um, Linnea, I see. Uh, she's into dog rescues. My wife's into dog rescues, so they're always uh, communicating. I see her a lot at the conventions as well. So, so you know, good to see her. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. And behind the scenes, I, I see you know uh, the makeup guy Kenny Myers. I see every once in a while, and uh, Jules Brenner, the 
he was the DP. Well, that that's yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, well, you know, of, it's a. Uh, yeah. I um when I was at uh you know the first convention that I ever went to, you and Linnea Quigley were there. And you guys were the two, were the first two people that I ran up to, and uh, I got my Return of the Living Dead poster signed because I've been a fan of that movie since like I was like a young teenager, man. Like you know, yeah. and, like I was like you know there was like all these people there, and I was like I'm going to fucking Tom Matthews and Linnea Quigley, and you know you guys were cool <laughs> as shit, you know, and and uh, yeah, I, I love that movie, oh, man, cool. and, and you know, so it's cool, like you said that you guys yeah. are at conventions, so even if you know you don't talk year round, you guys could still mingle and get together at those type of events. That's really cool, yeah. you know. It's so great. I mean, I just I put I put off doing them for so long, and then uh, I felt like I was selling my soul. But when I got when I started doing them, uh, someone talked me into doing it. He goes, "The fans are great." Someone who had already done them, he goes, "And it it just uh, the stories are just amazing. The heartfelt stories, how how it impressed them, and how much they liked the movie, and what it meant to them, and when they saw it, and who they saw it with, and you know, it's a great movie. It's really it's really a classic." Uh, classic film i mean it's it's part of pop culture now because it it started off the brain brain eating zombies too and now you know every zombie movie out there is 80 percent of them are eating brains or want brains in some way that scene on the on on the on the on the gurney with the half corpse and the spine but bouncing back Mm -hmm. and forth and you they had that conversation with her not brains (laughs) not people brains in the pain of dying. That's one of my favorite scenes. So that's a, that was a cool, that was iconic uh, to have a conversation, have her strapped down with a split, um, you know, half corpse old woman having a conversation of why she wanted the brains or why they all want the brains, I guess. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a morphine, you know, <laughs> stops the pain of dying. It's such like an outrageous scene, but it works because the way the movie was set up, it yeah. works so well. Um, yeah. Well, uh, one last question about Return. The whole, a lot of it's outrageous. I mean, that's cutting the guy's head off. <laughs> I know, you're sawing through and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, My God. And he, and he gets up. I mean, I've said this before, but we shot that scene at six o'clock in the morning. But when I saw it on the film, I was like, I couldn't watch it because it's, we're cutting some guy's head off, but I was laughing my ass <laughs> off. So I was like, oh, God, you know, cranking my neck back and forth. And then Jimmy's supposed to stab him as we're letting him out of the, out of the ice chest. And he runs by by Jimmy and he tackles Clue. You know, it's just freaking hysterical. It's one of the funniest <laughs> scenes in the movie still to this day. I can't only imagine that filming that was hilarious, especially yeah. at 6 in the morning. I hit the fucking brain. <laughs> hit the brain. I hit the fucking brain. <laughs> um all right well one last question about return um uh, where does return of the living dead take place in your heart is it your favorite movie you've done or just one of them it is it's my favorite movie i've done it was my first big part it was uh i remember going to the set i think we we're like third week into shooting it and it was like a dream i was driving uh from hollywood to burbank because i lived in hollywood and uh, going to the set and i'm just thinking I was like, finally, it, it was it was surreal. It was just a peaceful, my dreams had come true because I'd been working so hard towards that end and it was a great part, just having a great time. And it was a collaboration. And uh, uh, I only realized that uh, like the second week I was into it because I had come home and my mom had said no to me about something. I was like, no, I haven't heard that no in like two weeks. <laughs> So it made me realize, you know, how lucky we were. Uh, so it was interesting. Yeah, it always, and the, the part, like I said, the part was great. 
it's a great part for an actor to play. The arc of the character was just off the charts. That's good to hear. Now, uh, moving on to Friday the 13th, Part 6. Our audience knows by now that's my all-time favorite Friday movie. (laughs) How how did you get involved with that? uh, They sent me the script, and I didn't really know much about the the franchise. Uh, I read the script, and I went and auditioned for the casting director. They gave me a call back and went and read over at Paramount production for all the producers and, and Tom, Tom was there. Tom McLaughlin was there, the director, although I couldn't tell you which one he was sitting in the room. Um, and ended up getting the part. I, I was reading with against, uh, three other guys, I think for the part. Now, after you got the part, did you watch any of the previous Friday movies? I did. Yeah, I went through, I watched one through five, actually, to see, I, I, I specifically was watching it to see where Tommy Jarvis's character came in at, to see if I could, um, if I needed to bring any, any mannerisms from either Corey or John into, into my role, if they had a, t- a t- you know, a twitch or whatever, rub their eyes or something. So that's why I, I, uh, I, I, I watched them. Saw part five. I saw part five, scared the hell out of me. I thought, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> uh, were you a horror fan uh, before making these two movies or before this I and uh, Return no. of the Living Dead? Yeah, no, not really. And uh, from those Tommy actors, was there anything specific that you wanted to bring to your role? Uh, no, just, you know, I, I always just read the script and the, the dialogue and see what uh, the writer has in, in, in store for me and just kind of elaborate on that. I think Tommy Jarvis was, at the time, he was the closest to me of a character that I had played. So I kind of pretty pretty much played it close to my vest and, you know, didn't have a lot of quirks. Like, you know, Freddie was a total character, just totally, you know, away from who I was at the time was a real, a real character for me. And he, and many characters in that movie, but, uh, initially punk rocker and, you know, all that stuff. I had a job, pretty didn't have a job or he just had his first day on the job. <laughs> now, uh, in the, in the finale in the lake, uh, did you do your own stunts? Yeah. How was that? And which on the lake in the fire? Yes. Yeah, um, I did most of it. The only part that I didn't do is when uh, CJ is jumping on top of me and the boat kind of collapses. And then I did, of course, I did all the underwater stuff because you see it's me, the choking stuff. We shot that in a pool in uh, in California. We were underwater like, you know, 40 minutes at a time. The guys with the oxygen, the scuba divers were off off camera and if you wanted oxygen you just go like this and they come over and give you some oxygen and you go action bubbles would go out of nothing we'd be choking each other and fighting each other yeah i know tom was saying some of it was filmed at his uh parents pool and they had to put a black tarp yes cover up the uh writing on the bottom yeah yeah that's the part where they uh i think it was the motor when they yeah, uh, Jason got chopped up with the with the blade. Yeah, that was an insert. 
Now, uh, Drew and I both have our favorite kill, and when we talked to C.J. Graham, he had the same answer, and it was when Sheriff Garris gets yeah. folded backwards. Yeah, it's my, my favorite kill. I saw that kill in dailies. No music, no sound effects, no nothing. And it was unbelievable. The way they... It was a simple gag, and the fact that the guy's feet go up when he's <laughs> yeah. bending over backwards, it's just like totally sells it, because that's when you snap the guy's back. His, his feet kick up, and that's my favorite kill. No blood, it's just pure. Even in dailies, it was like, oh my God, it was just, just it was perfect. It was yeah, and Tom, and Tom was telling us that was actually the kill he got the most flack from, from the MPAA. Go figure. Now, uh, you also did the Friday the 13th video game, and Drew and I are big fans of that. Uh, I did. How how did you end up getting involved uh, with that? I mean, and I also have to say that they did an amazing job re recreating all those movies in that game. Cool, yeah. Um, I got involved, I think it was an after afterthought, because uh, I think they were well involved, and I think the fans wanted Tommy Jarvis to come back. And they started talking to me about it, and I said, okay, but, you know, I should, you know, Tommy Jarvis, I should have some kind of superpower, so they gave me a shotgun. Um, and uh, I had photo uh, image uh, approval, so the guy sent over, the first image, the guy was like dark hair and a five o'clock shadow, a big chin. I said, I'm not even close, man. <laughs> so... I said, the guy obviously hasn't seen uh, Friday the 13th, part six. <laughs> I, can barely, I can barely grow a five o'clock <laughs> shadow now when I'm 24 years old. Uh, so we went back and forth six times. I said, no, the eyes are close, the chin is, the, you know, the eyes are closer together. And so I, I mean, increments. And then I would put the picture he sent me in, the, in my picture and every time. So we finally just, ended up on the one that's in the game now, which is pretty close to, to uh, closer to what I looked like, I guess, back in part six. Did they do any kind of motion capture or was it just, that was kind of how they handle putting you in there? That was it. Because that's what I was saying. There's nothing, they were already well into the game. And I just came back. I just, uh, I think it was an afterthought. And I, I'm glad, I, I think they're glad they did it. But by that time, that was already broken down. Uh, Cause Kane had already done it. And, uh, other people, I guess. And uh, so I just did the voiceover uh, of scenes and then uh, some wild lines off camera and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, it definitely paid off asking for a power as Tommy because Tommy's definitely overpowered in the game. I know when I play and somebody calls Tommy, I'll try to get myself killed so I can come back as Tommy. <laughs> yeah. I, have you played the game yeah, yourself? I have when it first came out. And, um, uh, my son played it, my, my middle son. Uh, he played it. We got it for him, and I was touring around. I died, and I, I didn't really know how, <laughs> how it worked, but I died because I was a camper, and then I came back as myself. And then uh, I kept playing. and You know, it's like any game. You have to play it a, a while to figure out all the nuances of the game. But I'm playing it as myself, and some other camper killed me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? That's not right. Some other, you know, shiv me or something. So I called Gun Media up. Those are the guys who made the film. I said, that's not right. <laughs> Campers shouldn't. Apparently at the time, when it first came out, there's a bunch of guys just trolling around, killing 
all the other campers and stuff. So they they stopped that from happening. It was a big it was a big problem at the beginning of the game. Yeah, it was bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, were you much of a gamer, or did you just play that because uh, you're in the oh, game? Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I like I like gaming. I, I like all the. Uh, I play the. Uh, well, I used to. I mean, going way back, I was playing pinball when when I was a kid. You know, that was that was fun. Then we did centipede and all the games and now black ops and you know, I did more, but I'm just too busy and, and stuff. But I, I I like I like playing for sure. Band Band of Brothers was a lot a lot of fun. It's an army movie where you can, you you could control, uh, you could tell other fac- factions of people to move a tank or two guys attack here, and it's, it's a, it was during the World War Two era and uh, old school uh, army band of brothers was pretty. Cool. Well, the show they had on HBO for Band of Brothers was pretty good. Yeah, it is. And uh, Keith, uh, I think Keith Gordon, the guy in Jaws, directed that. The kid in Jaws, Keith. Oh Gordon. wow. Uh, when you go to con, which uh, fan base do you see more of at your table? Return of the Living Dead or Friday the 13th? You know, it depends on the venue and how the producer, uh, promoters uh, uh, selling or promoting. Sometimes it's uh, Return of the Living Dead and sometimes it's Friday the 13th. So it depends on how they, how they want to do it. But it's a, you know, it's a, I just, did the Living Dead weekend in Monroeville at the at the mall where uh, one of the Days of the Dead was was filmed, one of the early ones, and they have a museum there, and it was the weirdest venue for me because usually it's in a in a hotel or something, and everyone's in one room or a few rooms. This is in the mall, so you're walking in the mall, and then there's uh, they rent a. a space or a store over here and you're sitting in there signing stuff and then you walk the q a was in the mall at the you could sit on the second floor and look down at the q a with all the chairs lined up oh nice you could hear it echoing throughout and people would go up upstairs downstairs and go into each little store in the mall it was a huge turnout so you know that was uh that was different so it depends on how they sell it, either Friday the 13th or Return of the Living Dead. Well, either way, both of those fan bases are freaking huge, either way. Like, the, the, you huge. know, like it's huge. The fans are gr- huge. Uh, I don't know if you just yeah. saw, but uh, Terror Threads just put out a new line of t shirts from Return of the Living Dead. And I'm like, my God, Cavity Colors just did a line. Like, I just bought one from Cavity Colors a few months ago. Wow. And I'm like, it's Return of the Living Dead is everywhere. So I definitely think that you're in the one movie that's going to give Jason some competition if there ever was a movie that gives Jason some competition. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. So let me get back to Jason Lives. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, what's your favorite uh, memory from the film? From making the movie, I mean. My favorite, my favorite memory, uh, my favorite memory. Well, I, you know, I like all the action stuff because I did sports growing up and stuff like that. So I like to do all my stunts. So that was, that's always fun for me. Uh, my favorite memory. I have a weird memory. Uh, we were sitting around between, between, uh, between sets, between shoots and just sitting around, hanging out in this, this like, 11 year old kid comes up and he goes, uh, Hey man, uh, hey, is, is Jason wrong? <laughs> I, I like look at him. I go, uh, yeah, I think he's, uh, you know, taking a break right now. I go, I go, what's going on? What can, can I tell him something for you? He goes, yeah. 
yeah, could you tell him like if I leave my window open, will he, will he, can he come over and kill me? <laughs> True story. <laughs> not my favorite. Well, what? A, not my favorite memory, but that's definitely a weird memory, like you said. <laughs> a weird memory. Uh, and then uh, I remember when we had we had we had start shooting. We were shooting days, and then we switched over to nights. And it was in the in the jail cell. Uh, and that's kind of a tough thing to do, just to switch over, twenty four hour notice, because you don't get acclimated. But we we're doing a, like a close up on me in the in the jail cell with the sheriff garrison, and uh, the camera's like right here on me. And all the all of a sudden you hear. <clears throat> Some grip had fallen asleep. It was like, <laughs> like chop. It was like chopping wood. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to power through it, but I just couldn't do it. I just started busting up laughing. So that was that was fun. And everybody was great. All the you know all the other kids were great in it, and Vinny Gustafaro was great in it, and David was great in it. So I still see Vinny. He's uh, he's uh, a neighbor. And then the other day, uh, David Kagan, who played Sheriff Garris, was walking down my street and I was pulling out of my driveway almost ran him over <laughs> we we talked he lives right you know maybe five minutes away from me he walks he walks around the block with his wife oh wow so you and Vincent so, and him all live so close together that's pretty crazy what are the odds of that yeah it is yeah and then Tom Tom the director lives over in Glendale not too far he got his first house that he just remodeled so that's uh yeah, we're all pretty pretty close did he put the uh, Jason lives tombstone in his garden again you know what? I probably, probably in the backyard. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Oh uh, well. Do you think? Uh, do you wish that uh, the the series, the films, had continued with your character instead of just kind of jumping Absolutely. on? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why they. I, it never made sense to me. I know why they did it because you know they. You know, <laughs> the franchise Paramount had it, and they, it was like the. The bastard child who just wouldn't shut up, kept making noise. Here I am. I'm making money. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, you have to pay attention to me. So that's, that's kind of how. So what they did was whatever the flavor of whatever the blockbuster was that year, whether it was 3D or in space or whatever it was, uh, they piggybacked on that with the, with the, with the, the scripts that they made for that year. That's right. It was all it was just kind of all over the place. Whatever they could, whatever they could leverage to make the most money, based on what the hit was that year. That's what I'm guessing. I'd have to go back. I bet that's what happened. But I'd have to go back and see. The 3D is when the 3D was 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 huge back. It wasn't. Let's, let's just say it wasn't any original thought uh, to on on them. They were just like, let's just do this and get out of the way and stuff like that. I don't think they were very proud of the franchise. Yeah, no, they were kind of like, uh, holy crap, they're making money. Let's keep making them, but let's not yeah. acknowledge them. <laughs> it was like, you know, let's keep making them, but let's not acknowledge them because they're making us money. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have come back in part seven and continue uh, the Tommy Jarvis uh, thing. Yeah, I think that would have been like, great. Like, I mean, especially like with Kane Hodder taking yeah. over the role. I mean, even if CJ yeah. wasn't in the role, if it was still Kane, I see that like, that, that would have been amazing, man. That would have that would. That's why I wanted to ask that question. Kane was they they were gonna they they were going to use uh, CJ because he did such a great job. I mean, but the guy, I think the director knew Kane as from someplace else, from working with him at another uh, on another film or something. So that's why 
Kane got the job. Okay. From my understanding. Well, um, we had Vincent Guastafaro on here, Rick the Dick, <laughs> and, uh, uh-huh. and he said that you two. Oh, you saw that? Yeah, huh? he said that you two have a blast filming together. Yeah, he said you two have a blast filming together, and I wanted to ask you, what can we expect from you two in the Never Hike sequels that are coming out soon? What is it? Uh, we're gonna, hopefully, we're going to shoot uh, Never Hike again in September, so there's going to be a, a lot more of that. I may even get a T-shirt to, that says Rick the Dick on it. <laughs> It would made, but yeah, we. Uh, um, I did the first one, and then we did the the uh, the, the prequel, Never Hike in the Snow, after the fact. And I told Vincent Desanti, who's you know runs Womp Stomp Films and wrote and directed. I said we got to get Vinny in here because he survived, and so we we put him in um, Never Hike in the Snow, and I'm so glad he did because he's he's fantastic. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you have the most memorable character from Part 6, but Vinny definitely has the most memorable line from Part 6. Yes, yeah, bang. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that was that was an ad-lib. He just threw that in. It's not, it's not even in the script. Yeah, he was saying that uh, he used to say it all the time, and Tom just kind of let him work it into the movie somehow. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Yeah, they were friends before they uh, filmed. I know you said you had a couple uh, new projects before we started recording. You're working on a couple movies. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I'm actually going on uh, next week on Tuesday, which is going to be August 10th, I think. Um, doing a film called the, uh, it's called Final Summer, and I'm shooting that in Illinois, and uh, should be fun. And then I had to write it down because there's a lot going on. Uh, there's a, oh, there's a screen of Jason Lives. In uh, Columbus, Ohio, if anybody's out there, at Studio 35. And then the next night, we're screening Return of the Living Dead 2. Uh, and Jason, uh, uh, Dana Ashbrook's going to be joining us that night. And that's all at the same place, the same venue, Studio 35. And then I'll be at uh, September 3rd, I'll be at uh, the Midwest Monster Fest in East Malone, Illinois. And then on the 21st, a really cool project I'm excited about. It's called Go Away. Um, so we'll be filming that and that's, you guys are going to like that one. And then in, uh, October 13th, I'll be in England for the love of horror with CJ. We're both going to be at that one. And then November 5th, retro invasion weekend. Uh, and then November 12th, uh, the, the New Jersey horror and film festival in Atlantic city on the showboat, which sounds like a very cool spot, uh, to have uh, a horror a horror fest, a horror uh, convention on a showboat. So it should be should be cool. That's awesome uh, that you have so much going on. Um, where where can people uh, keep in touch with you on uh, online so they can uh, find out about all these different events? I post everything on my Facebook page. It's just Tom Matthews. Just look for that. It'll you'll find my fan page and just like it, and you'll. I keep every, everything pretty much going there right now. Well, uh, thank you again for joining us. I know Drew and I are, are definitely looking forward to the sequels for the Never Hike series. Should be cool, yeah. Should be cool. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon. And once again, thank you for joining us today. You bet. Thank you, man, so much. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It was awesome. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks again to Tom Matthews. 
you all know my love of Jason Lives. I'm glad I got to talk to another cast member from that movie. Drew, I know how excited you were to talk about the return of the living dead. It's cool Tom still smokes occasionally. However, I can't really relate to buying four fingers of Colombian dirt weed, though. <laughs> I mean, next time we see Tom, we'll have to bring you something a little bit better. And you can follow us online on Facebook and Instagram at High on Horror 420 and on Twitter at High underscore Horror. You can also reach out to us via email at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. That'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Hi, guys.